Hey guys, welcome back to the 360 Tennessee Sports Coverage Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb, and with me tonight, I've only got Kobe. I'm sorry we had to miss last week. The flu hit me, and then this week it has hit Cody's family, so he's having to take care of a sick wife, so we definitely pray she gets better quickly. Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about the Vols and what they're doing on the recruiting trail heading up to National Signing Day. We're going to talk about how the Titans have managed to fire a coach and hire a new coach since our last episode and what that looks like for their future. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the Preds, how they fared at the All-Star game with Pekka, PK, and Coach Laviolette being there. And we're also going to, talk, going to talk a little bit about what trades might be coming up and what we need to do to get a top spot in the playoffs. Guys, I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Sit back, relax, and let's get into it. All right, guys, so let's talk a little bit about the Vols recruiting class and kind of what we see developing here. Is there any key players that you guys see um, that Pruitt's heavily recruiting right now that you're really interesting, interested in seeing where they sign at? Yeah, the big one for me is um, at the cornerback position. We haven't had a corner committed in this class, and that's something that's – we're lacking some depth at, and Elijah Griffin fits that bill. Elijah Griffin is a five-star recruit. He just got bumped from a four-star to a five-star, and he is rated as the number three uh, corner, and he's got Tennessee in potentially top four. He just met with Oregon and had an official visit there, and apparently he said things went really well. Uh, he said he could put them up there with USC and Tennessee, and Alabama's still in running. So – um, that's a huge land, considering Tennessee, um, a potential huge land, because Tennessee hasn't really had him on campus since his official visit back in December, I believe. Uh, Terry Fair has met uh, at his home here recently, and Coach Pruitt has met with him at home here recently. So it's good that Pruitt's keeping in touch. I like how he's, you know, he's dedicated. He's he's doing his job right. And that's a position that we desperately need. And, you know, we've still got three or four other corners that we're still trying to land. Um, there's still some time left. So um, th- that's a that's a potential huge hit right there. Yeah, I think the cornerback position is going to be um, a big emphasis here going forward up until, uh, you know, National Signing Day, February 7th, I believe. So – I think you're going to see a big push out of Tennessee. We still do, like you said, we still do have some big names on our recruiting board we're looking to get. Uh, We just had another five-star out of Florida come in for an official visit this weekend. Still waiting to see how how that official visit turned out. And then we have uh, Stuart Taylor, who is also a five-star, and Eddie Smith, who is the number one corner out of Louisiana, uh, highly considering Tennessee right now. So, my thoughts is going to be we probably need to land two of those four guys at least. In a perfect world, I would love to see all four of them come here and we could just have our own little lockdown island in Neyland Stadium every year. Uh, But one that I think is going to be a huge addition, one guy that I'm really looking forward to see where he signs at, and it's looking good for Tennessee right now because we got five crystal balls on him last week, is uh, Quay Walker. 
And we already have J.J. Peterson, which was a great sign. Uh, if we can get another strong outside linebacker, a five-star outside linebacker to sign with us, our defense is really going to be looking up here from here on out. Yeah, it's already been established that Pruitt likes the 3-4, which limits, you know, very few guys up front. And it, you know, brings in more linebackers. So that that's another huge hit for Tennessee, considering the style and system that he plans on running at Tennessee. I mean, he he's obviously very talented. We uh, if most of you you can go watch his highlights um, and how skilled he is and how knowledgeable he is at his position. So it'd be nice to see how he transitions in, in Pruitt's defense. Absolutely, and and just going back to that three four defense comment. Uh, it, it seems to me like Pruitt is really emphasizing size and speed out of the recruits he's going after right now. And we just want to be a fast club and, you know, make the most out of out of the guys that we're getting. Uh, I know someone who stood out to you, you were really hyped up about uh, getting them on board, was Jordan Young. What's your thoughts on uh, landing the former not-rated player who's now a four-star. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth when you said size and speed there. Um, the kid's got tremendous size. They said he's extremely um, athletic. He's got a ton of speeds. He said he's got really great hands. And to, to me, for a kid to be unranked and only have two offers of Coastal Carolina and Valdosta State or something like that, and for Tennessee to jump on board and hand that kid a, an offer and for him to sign with us, is huge. I mean, he immediately was promoted to like a four-star the next day. Uh, he's got um, – and they didn't even give a chance for other schools to jump on the board because apparently he thought a lot of Tennessee that they were like the first Power Five school to offer him, you know, a chance to play at, uh, at that level um, in college football. And, I mean, that's an area that Tennessee, you know, could have used with some wide receivers and – you know, we kept hearing talk about Copeland, 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 and Copeland is a is an extremely talented wide receiver. I would still love for Tennessee to land him. I mean, that would be two dynamic potential wide receivers we could have, and we've already got a start on one. Let's see if we can land the other one. Absolutely, and it'd actually be three dynamic wide receivers because I think Alante Taylor is supposed to be playing wide receiver coming in too. That's very true. I guess we'll let the. We'll get the, we'll let the coaching staff sort uh, sort that one out. But um, just one thing I I kind of wanted to comment about that whole situation was it seemed like no one from that high school was really getting recruited hard at all, and now uh, Coach Pruitt and his staff have gone into that high school and they've made a connection there, where I mean that high school could be putting out four and five star athletes pretty soon who have ties to Tennessee just because we took a chance on an unrated player coming out of high school who turned out to be a diamond in the rough. It's so important that you get in there and you create those relationships in those schools where now the coaches are pushing for you to go play at Tennessee because Tennessee was the first school to really see the potential there. Uh, it's just amazing how that relationship can build from one prospect. Yeah, that's a tremendous point. Um, I think uh, a lot of times that's overlooked of how 
how important it is to develop those relationships and those connections with those coaches at those schools and those kids that um, have a chance to play at that uh, talented level at the you know at um, the collegiate level with that sort of um, talent that they could be playing alongside rather than um, smaller schools like Coastal Carolina and I'm not knocking Coastal Carolina or anything I'm I'm sure they have some extremely talented players that were diamonds in the rough that a lot of times get overlooked but it's just the point that you know sometimes it it takes time to sit down and and go watch these kids and analyze them and you know um, a lot of times people forget that J.J. Watt really wasn't highly recruited at a high school and now he's one of the best defensive ends in pro football so you have to take your time. You got to do your homework, and it seems like Pruitt and his staff are working on that, and that's a a, a good start to the recruiting trail. Absolutely, and like you said, you have to take your time and do your homework. Um, I've been trying to follow Vol's Twitter as much as I can the past few days, and it seems like there's quite a bit of grumbling saying that we're falling off. Uh, that momentum train that we were riding a few weeks ago and we're losing out on some of the bigger time uh, players that are still on the board. And, you know, it, it doesn't feel great to, to miss out on five stars and four stars um, that we might be losing to other schools. But I think Coach Pruitt said it best in his initial press conference. You have to worry about the ones you get and don't worry about the ones that you don't. And he, what might be happening is he might be seeing that there's potential in three stars and two stars um, to outperform some of these four and five stars. So he might be putting more of an emphasis on some of those guys uh, because he sees their work ethic and their heart and what they can provide to us where other schools are really overlooking them. Yeah, exactly. A lot of, I mean, you have to take, for example, John Kelly was like a three-star coming out of high school, and he was one of the very few bright spots of Tennessee football this year. And a lot of times you have to look at and, – and I try to live my life by this as best as I can, and everything happens for a reason. So take what you have worked hard to get. Take these, these high school kids that are now at the college level – Take who you have worked hard to recruit to Tennessee, develop them best you can, put your best product on the field, and, you know, win some ball games. I mean, that, that's what it's all about. And, you know, I said it earlier this year, I could not wait for Tennessee football to end. Could not wait because it was so catastrophic. But now, watching what Pruitt has, has – where he has taken us from before Christmas to now is phenomenal. I mean, I never would have thought in a million years that he could have done – that any coach could have taken us to this point in that short amount of time considering how bad we were. And, you know, it, dude, it's got me pumped up. It's got me ready to go. And I'm ready to hit the ground running. I'm ready for, for Tennessee football to start back. Absolutely. And I think Knoxville feels that same way. Um, I don't want anyone to get me wrong. I still think we're going to pull in some big four- and five-star recruits. Um, but what we're seeing now is we've got some – a coach that can hype up a team who can get them ready to play. It seemed like before we we never had any real will to go out there and just dominate opponents in games. And I think that's what's got everyone excited here in Knoxville. Like you said, 
you know, I was ready for the season to be over, but right now I can't wait for the spring game to get here because I want to go out there and watch what we what we're putting on the field. I want to see the competition going on. And we we were really missing out on that before coach Pruitt and I think we're really getting we're fixing to see some competition on a whole nother level from what we've seen in a long time with Tennessee football. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, you made a point to where you know, you won't potentially see a lot of competition there on the field. And, you know, for guys to come in and just kind of slack off, I mean, you, you can tell Pruitt's not that type of guy. And I believe you said in this pre- press conference that they're going to start with a clean slate. There are no starters right now. He's going to come in. He's going to analyze each position. He's going to put his best players or, or his uh, best talent on the field and they're going to go to work. I mean, I think he's assembled a pretty good staff around him from what little bit we've seen, um, how hard they're recruiting. We'll see how that transitions, you know, from off the field to on the field. But it's a great start, you know, and I think he's he's got Knoxville pumped up. He's got him ready, ready to run, man. Absolutely. Uh, but speaking about a, a new coach that can get your team pumped up, yeah, you know, the Titans – uh, just recently hired Mike Vrabel to come in and be the new coach of their program. Um, it was kind of a shocker how everything went down. Um, in our last podcast, we were just talking about how the Titans had lost a heartbreaker in New England, and we thought that you know Malarkey was going to be around for quite a while. And then all of a sudden, two weeks later, there's a new head coach in uh, the Tennessee Titans organization. Yeah, and, I, and I'm sure, you know, we, we don't know what happened behind the scenes, and, and most people probably never will. And and that's for John Robinson and, you know, um, the owner. I mean, that that's their business. They're, there was obviously some kind of discrepancies there. Um, either someone didn't get along, could have been a money issue, could have been a coordinator issue. Maybe he wanted to keep someone, maybe he didn't. Um, you know, it, you, you will never know. But obviously we have a new head coach, and – you know he's he's unproven, uh, so I mean, it, to me, I would have liked to seen a more offensive-minded head coach, considering how young Mari, Mariota is, and he's your you know franchise quarterback, and how important you know he is to that team. Absolutely, uh, and I think you alluded exactly to what gives them hope is the fact that you know he can bring in great coordinators to help him in his deficiencies and I think that's what all great coaches end up doing they all go out and find uh, the best coordinators they can find and they let that person cover their weaknesses basically and so like you said I I really hope Vrabel goes out and gets a really offensive-minded guy I hope he gets someone who works great with young quarterbacks and brings out the full potential because you know, Mariota, he's obviously one of the best young quarterbacks in the game, and we want to bring that talent out in him. Uh, he's got quite a bit of talent surrounding him in Delaney Walker, uh, you know, Travis Henry, uh, and now Corey Davis looks like he could be a factor. So if if we can mold an offense around Mariota and bring out his strengths, then – we could be set up for a, a good long while to be a winning team. Yeah, we, we saw flashes of Derrick Henry there in the playoffs when DeMarco Murray was down, and we saw flashes of, 
Corey Davis in the playoffs. We actually saw a little a little bit more out of him. So, and I would like for the Tennessee offense to open up a little more. I feel like we are a little too predictable with with our plays, and I'm hoping that Variable brings in somebody like like that that's going to bring the best out Mariota because Mariota is extremely efficient in play action. That's one place that he thrived really really well. And I mean, we Tennessee has some some good running backs. We have a good offensive line, and there there's a, a chance to improve on both sides of the ball as far as um, play calling, maybe on offense, and maybe a few more you know dy- dynamic players on defense. Absolutely. Uh, and one thing I've heard a lot about with Vrabel, uh, everyone says it. Um, you know, he, he just really catches your attention when he comes into a room. And, I mean, they really describe the guy as probably one of the best defensive minds in the game right now. They say he has an incredible intelligence level when it comes to defensive football in the NFL. So, hopefully, like you said, he brings in that guy that that knows how to do offense and he can use the players we already have on defense maybe go get a free agent or two and get some good draft picks on defense and he can turn this team into a consistent winner instead of a team that just kind of sneaks into the playoffs uh, with a talented roster. Uh, Because I think we all know the Titans can be a good team. They just need someone to maximize their talent instead of get it out of the team every five or six games. Yeah, Vrabel, he played in the league for for many years, uh, for many seasons, and he was a very good player. And for him to transition to the coaching side is very rare. A lot of times you don't see players go right into coaching after their career. And, you know, obviously that speaks to how intelligent he is uh, as as far as athletically gifted as he was. And as as improving this team – you almost we're almost starting with a with a clean slate because now he's going to bring in his own offensive coordinator, his own defensive coordinator, his own assistants, uh, his own position coaches. So he's going to have his own plays. Uh, his offensive coordinator and defense coordinators are going to bring in their own plays, and they're going to have different ways of developing those players as the past coordinators did. So Mariota and you know all those other position players are going to start fresh. They're going to have to learn a whole new offense, whole new defense. And, you know, I mean, Tennessee might go from a 3-4 with Dick LeBeau to a 4-3 with Vrabel. I mean, you know, we don't know. We don't know what he has in store for us. So it's going to be a learning curve for both sides of the ball. Absolutely. But I think one thing that you can say about this coaching transition that you don't normally get to see out of other coaching transitions is He's inheriting a team that is coming off of a playoff run and they actually beat a higher-ranked seed in the playoffs uh, this year. Most of the time, coaching searches are because a coach couldn't perform at all and he had a a losing record the season before. That's not what you're getting here um, if you're Mike Vrabel with the Titans. He's inheriting a very talented roster one that was talented enough to get to the playoffs and win a game. So I think you have to put a little bit higher expectation on him uh, with the roster that he's got than most 
first year head coaches get coming into the league. Yeah, he's going to have. I mean, there's high expectations for him. He's going to have that right out of the gate, and he's going to have to to handle that because he's going to have a ton of pressure on coming from barely sneaking in the playoffs to getting a victory that we probably shouldn't have had, and for us to to go out and win that game. I mean, it's it, people expect with the roster we have to make playoffs again next year, and it's going to be tough for Tennessee fans to to stomach the fact that we could potentially not be as good as we were or we could, you know, just far exceed those expectations and be even better. I mean, you have to look at both sides here because it's a fresh cleaning, uh, fresh cleaning of the house. I mean, you got a whole new personnel coming in. So, I mean, there's both sides of, that you can look at it this way. And as a Tennessee fan, you hope it's on the more positive side and not the negative Nancy side. Absolutely. Um, like you said, it, it could go either way, uh, especially having a first-time head coach coming in. But honestly, w with my outlook on the team, I think things are looking up. Um, I think Vrabel is a good mind. I think he's probably going to do what most great coaches do and what most great really just successful people in life do they always find a way to surround themselves with people who are better than them and they can cover each other's weaknesses and i think that's what we're going to see with this new coaching staff of the tennessee titans well john robinson ob obviously obviously got the guy he wanted because he didn't interview very many people and he made it a point to hire him it's almost immediately after he interviewed him so this is john robinson this is all him i mean that's him and the owner have apparently agreed on this hire, so they're going to back it up. And you know, he's he's going to believe in his guy, or he wouldn't have brought him in here. Absolutely, and I think that's another another big thing to have going for you as a head coach in the NFL. Um, you always see a lot of power struggle between the GM and the head coach, uh, from player personnel to how things are being run. There's usually uh, some tension between those two positions, but if Robinson got his guy and they're fully committed to working with each other, that just makes it even better. Um, but let's, uh, let's take a look at the Preds now. Uh, we're coming off the All-Star break, and I know you, you get into All-Star weekend. Uh, what did you see from Pekka, PK, and uh, Coach Laviolette in this All-Star weekend? PK brings his, his personality and his entertainment and his attitude and all the hype that comes with him. He's I mean, he's PK. I mean, that's what he does best. He's fun to watch. He's, he's excitement. He's entertainment, man. Um, I know when I personally attended the All-Star game in Nashville, you know, a couple of years ago, he was still with Montreal at the time, and he had on like the Yamir Yager wig or whatever it was. And dude, it's it's fun. It's fun to watch him. They they did the shootout mode um, in the skills competition last night, and we were sitting here watching it. And uh, as the captain, if the captain doesn't score, it starts back over into the next round, and it's determined to see which goalie could have the longest streak on stopping him. Well, PK, knowing PK, he brings the fun side to it. As he's skating down towards his guy, he throws his glove 
at the goalie or up in the air. Doesn't really throw it at him, I guess, I, to try to distract him and then shoot it. Would it? It brought the the laughter in the crowd out. So uh, it, it's fun, man. It it was a, a a thing to watch. The skills competition to me is much more entertainment than the actual game itself. Oh yeah, absolutely, and just. I know you mentioned the uh, shootout and the goalie save streak. Uh, Pekka, I, he went into this as an actual competition. He wasn't, uh, he was not slacking off one bit. Uh, I think he had 13, 13 straight saves until he finally missed one, uh, and he lost by one save. But he actually gave up less goals than Flurry did. Uh, in his run that actually won it. I was I was incredibly impressed at how I mean Pekka was on his game. It did not look like a a just for funs thing out there. It looked like he really wanted to win. Yeah, and Pekka should have won that. There were like three pucks that hit the pipe on Flurry's attempt. And then there was one where I don't know who the skater was, tried to slide the puck around him and it literally slid to like the edge of the of the line right at the goalpost marker and it kicked out. So I mean it he should have won that, but and he it's Pekka. I mean, he does what he does best and that's stop pucks from going in the net. Uh it's entertainment to watch. And uh a thing that I noticed yesterday or last night while watching that is Ovi had the hardest shot. They said that had been the, the only the third forward to do it. The second one since Sergei Fedorov in like 2001 or something like that. His first shot had the record or had the had the marker to beat. It was like 90 something, 98 or something like that. And he had already won it, so he tried to just best his record that night. And he had hit like 101 mile an hour. So I mean, and for there's no question if Shea Weber had been in that competition, he would have won that because he's Shea Weber. But unfortunately, he didn't get an all-star bid this year. He's missed some time with games and injuries. But it was a treat to watch those last night. Oh, yeah. And it was fun to watch PK in that hardest shot competition as well. Uh, seems like the Preds couldn't do anything but play second this year in the, the competitions. But, I mean, PK gave Ovi a run for his money on that first shot. I think he ended up one-tenth of a mile per hour behind him. Um, so, PK was right there competing with it. It seems like every year we've got a Preds player that's competing to win hardest shot with Shea Weber doing it in back-to-back -back years. Um, so, I mean, like you said, the skills competition in the All-Star game, that's my favorite thing to watch. Um, it's just a lot of fun, and... I like the all-star break in the middle of the season where you let these guys who are superstars go out there and just have fun for a few days and get their mind off the the challenge that is up ahead of them of trying to make it into the playoffs. Yeah, and you know, it, it also gives the rest of the players that probably should have been an all-star game or maybe were out because of injuries. I mean, I think Quick was a last – Jonathan Quick had to pull um, at the last minute. And, you know, there's uh, – Victor Hedman was another one that didn't get to participate. So, it gives players – and for us, it's nice because Philip Forsberg has been out and it gives him another uh, few days to rest 
and get him back on the ice and takes, you know, some of the pressure off the rest of the guys that can maybe just sit back and go have a good time in their town or spend some family time or whatever it may be. And, you know, that's important. The Preds have a have a really tough schedule coming up. Uh, our schedule is pretty backloaded. I think we're a couple games back for most of the other teams, at least in the West. So, you know, and, and consider where we are in the standings, it's nice, but they're going to have a, a tough stretch here. We've got three really tough games this week, and uh, it's time to get back to business. Absolutely, and one person you mentioned that's coming back from injury is Philip Forsberg. Uh, he hasn't been officially reactivated from IR, but all signs point to him coming back sooner rather than later with the way he's been practicing this past few weeks. Um, how big of an impact do you expect him coming back to be considering we played really well without him on the ice? I feel like we're going to get a slow start because we're going to ease him back into the lineup, so that's to be expected. But, you know, with the talent that we've got, we've been playing really well without him, so that shows that we can still win the games even if we do ease him back. But, dude, he's going to bring that 30-goal and potentially 40-goal talent back to the ice. That's a whole new level. That's going to uh, bring some of our uh, the, the, the lines back. Um, you know, they can get RV and Forsberg and but um, Rajo back on the same line. And it seems like they've had success with the Fiala, Benino, and Yarny line. So, I mean, it, it's nice because we had so much success with that, that line one before he went down with injury. So, and think about it too. Um, I heard this announced the other day. We have not had a completely healthy team all year because when Forsberg got hurt, Ellis was just now coming back. And so we're going to have a full team and we're ready to actually see what this team can do with a full man roster without anybody down. Absolutely. And I think that's incredibly important uh, as well, considering this stretch that we're going into. Um, The good news for us is it seems like the past three years um, since we've actually started playing at a high level again seems like the backside of the schedule is when we've played our best hockey so if that's any indication as to what we're going to do in this second half of the season I mean it's going to be fun to watch that's for sure Um, but another reason it's so important uh, is because as we all know the NHL trade deadline is looming Uh, in March, and we really need to get that healthy roster and see what we have going into the playoffs so that uh, GMDP can go out there and see if he needs to find us another forward or if he's content with what we're going to go into the playoffs with. Uh, Do you see any potential trade that, that we might be looking at coming March 2nd? Uh, I I am extremely happy with the team we've got. I would be fine moving forward without any anyone added to that roster. But if Poyle thinks that he can take this team to the next level, he's going to do it. I mean, that's just the type of GM he is. He's not scared to make moves. And personally, I feel like we if we added another left winger, 
um, that would give Tolvin and time to, you know, um, get some AHL experience before we bring him over. I get it; it's important. We've had this d- debate left and right if to get that playoff experience, but you don't want to expose him to maybe a possible expansion. I mean, is he really going to make that much of an impact when he comes over? How much playing time is he going to get? You know, there's so many different options you can weigh. But I feel like left wing potentially, maybe um, if you leave the Fiala on the Benino Yarny line, put somebody with Smith and Turris potentially. Uh, but I know we've got guys like Hartnell and Sissons that can bounce around. And to me, those are third and fourth line guys. So I've got one guy in mind, and you might laugh, you might agree with me, I don't know. Um, Mike Hoffman. We have already made a trade with Ottawa once this year. He's on a pretty decent contract, and he's a former 30-goal scorer. Ottawa could be sellers at the trade deadline. They might not be, but I'd say it's worth at least a shot. Um, Anyone on your radar that you potentially see? Personally, I love the Hoffman idea. Um, I've watched him play in some games, and – He's really dynamic. I mean, he reminds me a lot of Fiala. Uh, He's a fast skater. He's got very good puck handling skills, and he can score, like you said. Um, So I love the Hoffman uh, trade. Uh, Some names that I saw come up uh, later in this past week, uh, more towards the All-Star game, was that the New York Rangers could be sellers. And... One name that kind of stuck out to me was uh, Zuccarello. Uh, I've been to a few Rangers games. Uh, I've watched him play. The I know Rangers fans love him, uh, which kind of made me hate him at the time just because annoying Rangers fans at a Preds game uh, kind of made me, kind of got my blood pumping and made me want to dislike the guy. But he seems fast. He seems like he can provide a, a good scoring touch. And, like, he could be a player that could really push us over the top and and get us into a very deep playoff run and hopefully have us hoisting a Stanley Cup come June. Yeah, I I like that. I like the Zuccarello um, potential guy you could bring in here. Uh, Extremely talented. Um, It seems like he's, like you said, he's very well liked among the Rangers organization. And if they're sellers, maybe that's a guy they could potentially bring in here. And I feel like Poyle probably won't do a sort of rental thing uh, because I feel like our AHL squad could uh, use some more uh, guys to come in and develop. we still got some guys in college that could potentially transition over to the AHL this year. So you want people – you want to keep, you know, building those guys and maturing those guys and developing them so that they could get NHL ready when our some guys don't sign back with us or if we have to make another trade, whatever. But Absolutely. Um, and just to, to go to your point that we're probably going to not go the rental route, uh, I personally I think it's important when you're trading away picks that you're getting someone who's going to be there for at least a few years to get you over that hump where you're not getting that first-round talent to come in and develop. So, I'm I'm fully on board. If we if we trade for someone, I want it so I want it to be someone who's going to be here for at least two to three years, not just a couple months, and then they're hitting the free agent market. 
yeah, you you want those guys back on the ice the next season, especially if you you know if you hoist the Stanley Cup or if you make a really good Cup run like we had last year. You want to bring those guys back in. You don't want to just lose a pick for a you know three month or four month rental there. And some teams that you think might not be sellers might drop off here in this last half of the season and could potentially be uh, sellers. And then some that we thought were sellers might not do a thing. They might not. They might keep their roster completely intact. So you, you never know. This second half of the season uh, could be a big swing. We've got you know a week left in January here. We've got a whole month of February and, and some games in, in March. So so much can change in that little bit of a time considering as many games as each club plays. So they'll analyze. Uh, we'll leave that in Poyle's hands. We have said that over and over. He didn't win GM of the year for nothing. And GMDP we trust. So, but, uh, I mean, I could see guys coming in. And like I said, I'm fine with the team we have. Uh, we've pr- played really well this year. Absolutely. Um, just one more name to throw out there before we, we move on and talk a little bit about what we need to do to, to get a, a good playoff standing. Uh, a guy who is on waivers right now who everyone – it's a love-hate relationship. Everyone either loves him or hates him. Uh, would you be okay with GMDP going out and bringing in a Yamir Yager to play on this team? That's a good point. Yamir Yager is he's older, but and I'm shocked that he's still that he's not on an NHL club right now. But I guess a lot of these teams are probably thinking, well, instead of having a, a 40 year old guy um, just for a year at a time, that's you know an extra spot we can get brought in for some younger guy to come in and develop, or we can get somebody on a longer you know deal. But I could potentially see him signing with a, a playoff contender closer to you know um the trade deadline yeah i could as well um i personally (laughs) it it really doesn't matter to me either way um i know if pax was on here he would love the thought of signing yamir yager um but honestly someone i could see him signing with who is just absolutely knocking it out of the park right now would be someone like the Colorado Avalanche. And it's because they don't have very much playoff experience on their roster at the the moment because they haven't made it in a while. Uh, he could offer them a lot of good experience going into a playoff series uh, into what to expect. So I could see Yamir Yager signing with a club like Colorado uh, towards the end of yeah, the season. Exactly, exactly. And they went on a big 10-game win streak there. So, you know, there a lot of people thought they were going to be at the at the bottom and they have completely switched gears and somehow have got back to their winning ways in part due to Nathan McKinnon who is extremely talented and phenomenal. Uh I mean, you don't have a talent like that a number 1 overall pick for you know, just straight suckage, but I mean, I guess it can happen, but it, he's he's far above what any other talent they have on that roster, in my opinion, he's without a doubt their best player, and they're winning with him. And they're they've it seems like they're trying to build around him. So 
it, and you never would have thought teams like Chicago would be towards the bo- would be at the bottom of the Central Division. The Central Division is tough, anyways, but they're they're struggling right now, and I'm actually enjoying it. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I love seeing Chicago at the bottom. For many years, they've been at the top, and I love seeing that club fall. Uh, so we'll get a taste of them Tuesday night. That's our first big game of the week. So they're and they're still extremely talented. And they're going to bring their A game. So it's time for us to to hand it back to them again, like we did in the playoffs last year. Absolutely, um, <laughs> I'm I'm right there with you. I hate Chicago. So seeing them as a bottom feeder right now, that's that's nice. Um, but like you said, we've got a tough little road stretch right here ahead of us, and we've got a tough second half of the season coming up. Um. I think we're sitting at 62 points right now currently. Well, let me see here. We are sitting at 65 points. We are second in the uh, Western Conference. I'm sorry. We are third in the Western Conference, second in the Central. Okay. And uh, only by one point to Winnipeg right now, correct? Correct, yes. Okay. So at 65 points at basically halfway through the season – uh, what do you see us finishing at points-wise um, if we're able to keep a healthy group? For us to be able to succeed in the playoffs, I would love to have home ice advantage. And t- typically around um, on a on a bad season, you can get in with somewhere around mid-90s, high-90s points, but – Successfully, most of the time, it takes at least 100 or just a little over 100 points to get in to the playoffs. And considering we're sitting at over, you know, halfway, the Preds are hanging right there with the best of them. So we have a chance to clinch home ice advantage. And, I mean, that, that's that's something the Preds don't get very often. Uh, we had that underdog mentality last year. And – I think that's one one thing that we thrived on. I think that's one reason why we played really well. But right now, they're not going to have that underdog mentality from around the league. A lot of the league sees them as one of the the premier clubs right now, as one of the better teams. I saw a prediction the other day that like 16 out of the 31 teams picked the Preds to win the Western Conference. And uh, I think the Lightning maybe won out of the Eastern Conference but they had the Lightning win it at all. So, I mean, they still have an underdog as far as there's a team that's still playing better than them. But they they need to keep that mentality like, hey, we're still hungry. We were a couple games away from winning it all last year. Let's take it, those couple extra games, and let's do it. Let's bring the Stanley Cup to Nashville for the first time in franchise history. Oh, absolutely. Um, Just to kind of answer my own question – for for me, I think where we need to be to be one of the top, if not the top team in the West, uh, I think you you need to be between one twelve and one eighteen um, to be one of those top teams in the West. Um, but like I mean, like you said, we don't need to lose that chip on our shoulder. Uh, I hope. If I were Peter Laviolette, I would be playing the final goal to the Stanley Cup Finals on repeat 
Every every meeting, we would take time to watch that final goal and watch us lose it. And I, honestly, I think I would show the Penguins hoisting the cup on our ice every meeting. Every time we had a practice, I would show the same video and just remind them, how bad did this suck to watch them do that to us last year? And how bad do you want to get back there and win one for yourself? And... I think that would just drive this team to go above and beyond and win at all costs. And yeah, no doubt, no doubt that that's that's something that they they need to keep in their minds. I mean, they've got to go out and they've got to play hard. And it seems like Laviolette gets the best out of his players a lot of times. I mean, he's been very a very successful head coach. He's carried um, three different teams to the playoffs. And he's won a Stanley Cup, and he's come within a couple of games of winning a Stanley Cup with two different clubs other than the one he won it with. So, and both of those teams were underdogs. So he he knows how to get the best out of those that underdog mentality. And as far as attending the games, I did not miss but one home game in the playoffs last year. I missed Game Six of the Penguins game, and that's something that I I wish I'm sorry I missed two. I missed two. Uh, I attended one of the Stanley Cups, and then I let my family attend the other one. But game six, I could not attend due to uh, other reasons that anger me right now. But um, I will attend as many of the playoff games as I can. And I have a goal this year to attend an away playoff game. I've never done it. And I want to bring – I want to see what the energy is in the the other arena, maybe one of the other arenas compared to – what ours is because I feel like we exceed really, really well in in the playoffs as far as fans, you know, just bringing the, the best out of their players. Oh, I, I think that is absolutely uh, something that you cannot argue with. It seemed like watching the playoffs, I, I believe it was last year. Was last year the first year that Winnipeg has gotten in? Uh, no, in, Winnipeg did not while. get in last year. So it it would have been the year before that they got in. That that would have been yeah. – that's the only arena that I've seen that even rivaled Nashville in a playoff game. And it was just because, I mean, the fans were just as hungry as the team was. And you can see it in every Nashville game. Our fans – are hungry. I mean, we want to be the best in the NHL. And we show up in regular season games, much less playoff games when it really matters. I mean, I've been to a lot of playoff games the last two years, just like you. Uh, Unfortunately, last year I didn't get to go to any. But I know two years ago, when we went into triple overtime and Mike Fisher won it, in triple overtime at 2 o'clock in the morning in Nashville, that place was pumped. And if we can be pumped at 2 o'clock in the morning after four and a half hours of playing hockey, then what can we do when we're fresh and we're ready to win one? Yeah, I mean, Tennessee – I mean, here being in Tennessee, a lot of people thought this wouldn't be a hockey town, and we've proved them wrong. And the the energy in that arena at – two o'clock in the morning there was still wasn't hardly any empty seats in that arena and last year when we were watching the the western conference finals we were playing anaheim you could see 
the third arena was empty, man. There were seats everywhere. And I don't yeah. understand that. It's not like it was round one or maybe even round two. That's the Western Conference Finals. And they're, the, it wasn't a packed house in Anaheim. I mean, they're the Mighty Ducks. They're, they were the Mighty Ducks. I mean, they had the Finnish Flash and Paul Correa and some of the best players to ever play hockey. And those fans that supported them can't rally behind the team they have now. I mean, I – I had a friend of mine that said his family went on a trip out there and they didn't even know the Preds were playing until they got out there. They literally walked up and bought tickets for near nothing on the street to attend that game. I mean, come on. You have to be better fans than that. Absolutely. And that's actually when you said that you wanted to go to an opponent's game. Anaheim was the one I was thinking of because it seems like we play them every year in the playoffs. And like you said, I, I mean, I got to watch a lot of those games on TV last year, and it seemed like at puck drop, it was like 40% full. And it was just embarrassing, honestly. I was embarrassed that Anaheim would even put that product out there for other people to see. Yeah, it it's a complete and total embarrassment. For them to be the team that they have, and not to fill that that stadium as many people that are in the state of California. I mean, I get it. There are three teams out there, but they should have filled that arena every night. Man, ticket prices in Nashville for the first and second round were ridiculous. I mean, it, if I hadn't been a season ticket holder, I wouldn't have been able to afford to go. I would have not have been able to afford to go to the Stanley Cup, any of the Stanley Cup games. I mean – Four and five and six hundred dollars for a game? That is ridiculous. But it's because they're such in high demand. And for just away fans to walk up and buy tickets off the street for less than a hundred dollars for a playoff game, that's insane. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Um, but I think that just that just goes to show what the predators really are and what they mean to Nashville. Uh and and that's it's refreshing to see that Nashville has completely rallied behind uh, the Preds as an organization, um, and we've come a long way. Yeah, considering where this team started to where they are now, compared to what Vegas and we've already had this discussion from where they started and where they are now. I mean, I, I get it. They've they've exceeded everybody's expectations, and they're they're winning. And, you know, it's good to see a team like that win because it gets fans behind them immediately. Uh, you don't have bandwagon fans that just jump on right immediately when they're good. So maybe they'll kind of – maybe that'll build a good fan base for them. And, I mean, that that's one of the away arenas that I would like to attend. So – but as far as the Preds, man, they, the last few years, compared to where when they started when they first made the playoffs to where they are now, is tremendous. I mean, it's – I mean, I use the words phenomenal and tremendous and, you know, stuff like that all the time, but it truly is. It really is. If you've never been to a playoff game, it's a complete and total experience like no other. I mean, there's really no words to describe how loud and how much energy is actually – you can feel the adrenaline when you walk into the arena because it's so loud. Yeah, it, it's just an awesome experience uh, to get to a, a Preds playoff game. Uh, and hopefully we finish the season up really strong. Uh, I'm I want more more games in Bridgestone uh, come 
May and June rather than less. And I think I think that's just going to lead to more playoff success. If we can finish the season up strong and get more games in front of our home fans, that's just going to make us an even better playoff team right there. Well, every Preds fan will agree with what you just said there. There's no denying that. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think we do have something that is going to make uh, Preds fans really, really, really happy. Uh, we're going to do another giveaway. Uh, I hate that Cody couldn't be here for this announcement, but Kobe has come in clutch, and we're going to give away two tickets to the Nashville Predators playing the Winnipeg Jets on March 13th. Uh, if you'd like to enter to win these tickets, you know, it, it's a pretty simple process. If you follow us on Twitter, go and retweet our announcement tweet and let all your friends know that you're getting a shot to win two tickets to a Preds game. If you don't follow us on Facebook, go follow us on Facebook uh, and share our announcement on there. Uh, if you do it on both, you just get double the amount of chances to win the tickets. So, Definitely go follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and share our ticket giveaway announcement. And hopefully, we'll be sending you and a friend to watch the Nashville Predators play the Winnipeg Jets on March 13th. Uh, you have anything you want to add to that, Kobe? Guys, l listen to what we were saying. If Even if you have never been to a Preds game, like this, share it, whatever – Take a chance on winning this. Take a stab in the dark. I mean, if you or even if you can't, haven't had the chance to afford to go to the game this year because the ticket price is rising, take a chance and do this. It's a it's a shot like no other. Games are unreal at Bridgestone, and not to mention Winnipeg is actually one of the best teams in the Western Conference right now. Should be a good game. We love to see it. Um, Tuesday nights are just packed houses, just like Saturday nights, guys. So there's no difference. Um, like it, share it, listen to um, we'll be doing this for three or four weeks almost up to the week before um, the game and we will I will get the tickets to you I promise I will not shaft you um, because I want our fans of this podcast and even Pre or any Preds fan, Vols fans, whatever I want y'all to get a chance to enjoy this. This is um, like I said, it's an experience like no other I want you to become a Preds fan if you're not because once you attend a game you're hooked, man. You're hooked. Absolutely. It's one of the best sports out there uh, by far. But anyways, I hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast. Uh, like we said, go follow us on Facebook and Twitter, 360TN Sports. Uh, we're glad that you tuned in. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Go Vols, go Preds, and go Titans.